Well, as you're making your way back to your seats, you can go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 1. We'll be continuing this new series we've begun out of Paul's letter to the Philippians in a moment. Before we do, though, I just want to call your attention to a few announcements. As you know, on page 3 in your bulletin, you can find just a nice uh, listing and updating on what's uh, happening here in the life of our church. just want to call your attention, though, to a few of those items uh, down there a little before halfway. You can still continue to bring in uh, items to assist those in need in the Bahamas. We'll continue to gather canned goods and non-perishable items and other supplies that we will uh, continue to ship down or really really over to the Bahamas uh, through Missionary Flights International. We mentioned that we are gathering supplies for them. You can drop them off to the office and we'll continue to take, uh, take loads up to them in Fort Pierce so that they might be flown over uh, to the Bahamas. Also, as you know, you can continue to support financially if you feel so led through uh, mtw.org, uh, the missionary organization of our denomination. And that money goes directly to the Compassion uh, Fund for those in the Bahamas. Uh, we just prayed for, for Alice, and again, such a delight to have her this morning. There is a lunch following service uh, in her honor, and just to kind of celebrate once again what God's doing, get together as a church family, and so that is in the education building following service. Everybody's invited. We'll have plenty of food, I promise. So uh, if you feel so led, come and join us for lunch. Uh, The new members class, we are pushing one week. So it'll be Sunday, October 6th. Uh, And I mentioned before, that's a a class for those who might be new to the church and want to unite in membership if you've attended for at least uh, three months. But it's also for those who have called Lake Osmond their church home for some time. But as you know, you know, there was some transition here, and there was even a time without a pastor until the Lord called me here. So that's also a chance for you to, uh, to become a member officially if this has been your church home, and you really are a member in function, uh, but are not a member formally. This is a class for you as well, but you do need to register. So if you would do so by using the information card in the pew or emailing me, uh, we do need you to register, and that will be Sunday, uh, October 6th. And then lastly, there was an insert Uh, In your bulletin, as we mentioned, I believe, last week or maybe two weeks ago, uh, we have formally restarted a number of ministries, and one of those is our women's ministry, a very crucial and important ministry here in the life of Lake Osborne, and there will be regular events and studies forthcoming, and one of those things is happening the second Saturday of October, October 12th, uh, and you can read more about that on that insert uh, in your bulletin. Well, again, as we turn to God's word this morning, we are in Philippians chapter 1. We looked at verses 1 through 11 last Sunday as we opened our series, and today we'll be continuing in chapter 1, reading verses 12 through 21, and I believe it's printed for you in your bulletin, but you can also turn to Philippians 1 if you have a copy of God's word. And it says this, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And this is the Apostle Paul speaking, as we know. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and, and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it from love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. 
The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I will rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Christ Jesus, this will turn out for my deliverance. As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God, it stands forever. Let's pray together. Father, we do thank you for the opportunity now to come to your word. We thank you, Father, that we can now hear from you through your eternal and unchanging word. We pray, Lord, that you would uh, open our hearts and our minds to, to receive what you would have us to receive this morning. That again, the, your word would speak over us. It would speak louder than those other competing thoughts, Lord, in our minds. And we pray, Lord, that ultimately, in having heard your written word, we would come to a deeper understanding and love for that word who became flesh, Christ Jesus. May he be glorified. We pray all these things in his name. Amen. Who is that person uh, in your life? I'm sure we could go around and, and, and name many, but who is that person in your life that when you're around them, you just simply know everything will be okay? You just feel, you feel reassured. There's that person in our lives, perhaps it's a, a friend, uh, perhaps it's a, a spouse, uh, perhaps it's a, a father or, or a mother who's resilience or their optimism or even uh, their humor just always reassures you that when you're in their presence just their their sheer force of personality creates this this feeling that in the end everything will be okay no matter what the day holds no matter you know where you find yourself if you're in their company you just have that that calm kind of settle over you uh, that reassuring Feeling. Again, it could be a friend, it could be a spouse, <clears throat> it could be a parent. Uh, in the sporting world, even, as you know, there are certain athletes who have risen to that stature. You, know, you, hear, you hear people talk all the time, uh, if you have Tom Brady as your quarterback, you just know you could be down 30 points in the Super Bowl, which I think they were <laughs> a couple years ago, right? And everything's going to be okay. Tom's going to figure it out. If the ball is in his hand, it's going to be okay. All right, Michael Jordan was the same way. You know, people just knew if he was on the court, no matter what happened, everything would be okay. You even see it uh, in our culture with uh, like, uh, some of the new shows on TV, right? There's a new phenomenon going around uh, on TV today where you have these survivalist shows, right? Man versus wild, you know, you throw some guy half-clothed with like a pocket knife and that's it, you know, into a remote location. He just figures it out, right? And you're amazed. Now, there is a camera crew, of course, following him. You always wonder how that works. Where, where are they sleeping? Where are they eating, right? Uh, but nevertheless, it's amazing to see this person, no matter the situation, no matter the odds, no matter what's thrown against them, they're so resilient, so skilled 
at surviving that it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. You see, as Paul writes, as he continues to write to the Philippian church, it's this letter of great joy and great gladness. We saw that last week. This, this great sense of thankfulness for their faith and their partnership and their support. And again, remember where he's writing from. He's writing with joy and with thankfulness and with gratitude and with hope and with optimism from a jail cell, from a Roman prison where he is a prisoner of Caesar. But as he writes, and as you hear him here unpack and reflect, he has this keen and even more tangible understanding of God's sovereignty. Of God's sovereignty. Of God's providence. Of his trademark move, if you will, of always working good from bad. Always working life from death. You see, we may have a friend, again, or, or a family member, or a spouse, who when we're in their presence, we simply understand and feel like everything will be okay. But we know that as a Christian, and Paul begins to express this, as a Christian, as a child of God, as one who truly has despaired of their own righteousness, who has trusted the life, death, and resurrection of Christ Jesus in their place, again, as a child of God, we know that we have an even greater source of assurance, an even greater source of resilience and hope and optimism that's with us in anything we go through, in any moment of life. That again, we can look around again in our, in our friendships, our family, and find that person on earth who is that source of assurance for us. But here you see the Apostle Paul begin to express this otherworldly Christian confidence, Christian assurance, that again, because of Christ Jesus, because of our adoption in his name, no matter what life throws at us, everything will be okay. In the end, ultimately, everything will actually work out. What does Paul tell us later? Everything works together for good, for those who love him, for those who have been called according to his purpose. He writes elsewhere, if God did not spare his son, but gave him up for us willingly, will he not along with, with him give us all things. You see, life's not always easy. We know that. <laughs> uh, being a Christian doesn't exempt us from the difficulties of life, the, the tragedies of life, the trials of life, the pain of life, but it does give us that reassuring hope that we are never alone, that things are not random, that God is indeed working all things for our good. And again, you can hear that in Paul's voice as he, as he writes these verses that we just read. Again, if you focus back on the text, in verses 1 through 11, Paul was really focused and fixated on the Philippians themselves, on, again, their, their, their long-standing faith, their joy in receiving the gospel, their joy in partnering with him as the gospel goes beyond the bounds of Philippi. But beginning here in verse 12, Paul, if you notice, started to shine the light on his own experience. He, he turned the attention a little bit on his own experience, and he's giving them now an update from the field. We mentioned last week how you know, Philippians is this great letter because uh, Paul is getting positive correspondence 
Like I mentioned last week, it's like getting a letter from your, your college-age student who's away, and instead of him or her asking for money, they're actually sending you money in the mail. <laughs> Wouldn't that be fun for a parent, right? Paul is getting positive correspondence from the field, unlike what he had gotten from the church in Galatia or the church in Corinth and so forth. And we saw that in verses 1 through 11. But in verse 12 now, Paul is giving them, if you will, an update from the field, an update on his situation. But you can almost hear the delightful surprise in his voice. Verse 12, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that actually that actually what has happened to me has really served to do what with the gospel? Advance it. (laughs) Advance it. How how does that work? Paul gets thrown in jail, (laughs) and the gospel only advances. You You can almost expect Paul to say, you know, we hit a bump in the road. We hit a bump in the road. Now I'm in prison, but God is still good. He hasn't forgotten me. But things have slowed for a little bit. You know, we're in a little bit of hiatus here. No, no, no. He says it's actually advanced the gospel. (laughs) My ministry has multiplied. The harvest has become more fruitful, though I'm in chains. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that actually what has happened to me has served to advance the gospel. Paul's imprisonment, and again, this is where we hear the sovereignty of God, the providence of God, the, the the hopeful reassurance of God. Paul's imprisonment wasn't the end of his ministry. It wasn't the end of his preaching career. What happened to Paul? He just got transferred. He got transferred. You know, here in the PCA, we don't transfer ministers. So you're kind of stuck with me for a little bit, sorry. Uh, they, they don't transfer ministers, right? But uh, you know, in the Methodist church and other traditions, they'll actually have term limits for pastors, as you are probably aware, and you can actually get transferred to a different congregation, different parish, and there's some wisdom to that. It can safeguard churches from you know, becoming uh, personality-driven or, or built around one man's you know, exclusive vision. There's also some difficulties that it creates, too, you know, relationships, and um, uh, it can be sad to see a pastor transfer and and so forth. But there is some wisdom there, right? Well, Paul here, again, this is predating denominations and those kinds of things like we've mentioned, but Paul here simply gets transferred. He gets transferred to a new parish, to a new parish. His preaching ministry continues. His gospel ministry continues. The advancement of Christ's kingdom actually goes further. And what does Paul basically tell us here? I got transferred to a new, new parish, and guess what? They're actually a captive audience, <laughs> right? They can't go anywhere. They hang on my every word. I'm the obnoxious guy in the prison. That now everybody knows why I'm here. I tell everybody about Jesus. The whole imperial guard is the phrase that's used here. It has become, verse 13, known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest <laughs> that my imprisonment is for Christ is for Christ. What a, what a picture. Paul says that such success, such fruit in the gospel ministry, even in chains, has advanced the gospel. It's advanced the gospel. What a, what a, what a hopeful reassurance to us. Wherever life takes us, whatever page we turn in our ministry, 
our personal ministry, our corporate ministry, that God's with us. He simply puts us into new fields. He puts us into, into new pastures. But Paul continues, and he now tells the effects of this. Not only has the gospel been known to all the imperial guard, and you have to wonder, would they have ever heard had Paul not been put there? So again, think of your own place in life, that we as Christians are called to blossom where we're planted. Where has God put you? What street? What neighborhood? What workplace? Ask yourself, would the persons next to me, the people next to me, have ever heard the gospel? Will they ever hear the gospel if God hadn't put a Christian next to them? And that Christian's you. You hear Paul say, again, the whole imperial guard has now heard, but what's also happened outside of the prison? My fellow preachers and brothers, verse 14, and most of the brothers, having now become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. You see, they've now been given a snapshot of the boldness and the, and the zeal and the resilience that they can too now have their ministry. And they've now realized that even chains, even uh, what seems like uh, the end of someone's ministry in God's sovereignty and providence is only the beginning of a new ministry. So now they're preaching more boldly, more fearlessly, more aggressively. And it's just this great, great picture of how God, again, will bring himself glory in all times, in all situations, in all places. And you have to ask yourself that same question today. What if God moved you? What if God relocated you? What if you had to move because of a job? What if, you know, just something in your life, a curveball got thrown in your path and your life now took a detour you didn't expect? What if God one day moves this church? What if he does something like that, right? What if he gives us a new ministry we never thought of? Okay? What does that mean for us? It just means God's gospel continues to go forth. It continues to go forth. Personally, again, collectively, that sometimes what we think in life are detours in God's providence become destinations. They become destinations. And we begin to realize that this is where God would have us to be. This must be now what God is calling me to do. This must be where God is calling me to be faithful again to him uh, and to his gospel. And so again, use that as a guide in your own life because things change, right? You move neighborhoods, you move jobs, uh, things that you thought you had planned then get detoured in a different route. But over and above and in and through all of that is God's sovereignty and his providence and the assurance that we have that he is indeed ordaining all things. But then we also get another word from Paul that I think is practical for us and instructive for us. Verses 15 and following. You see Paul really keep a big picture perspective he keeps the big picture in focus. He keeps the main thing the main thing, uh, if you will. Look at verse 15, because you don't think this might happen back then. It happens today, but you might be surprised to know it happened even back then. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it from love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. Verse 17, the former, though, proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to inflict me in my imprisonment. But what then? Only in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. 
You see, in those verses, as Paul begins to think of the advancement of the gospel outside, outside the prison, in the community, he starts to think of individual probably names and, and people and, and preachers and, and, and ministries. But what we're sometimes surprised maybe to realize is that even then, there could be competition. <laughs> competition among preachers. Competition among churches. We, we know we see it uh, come out in some of Paul's other letters, but isn't it funny to think that it's happening even then? And Paul basically says that here. He says, you know, some preach Christ because they're envious of the ministry that Paul had. And they now want to make a name for themselves. And now that he's in prison, they're going to go after his influence. <laughs> they're going to go after his uh, reputation in, in congregation or, or whatever. Some preach because they like to be on a stage. Some preach because they like to hear themselves talk. Some preach because they want to have a platform or a book deal or a website or a big Twitter following or whatever, right? Can't we look around in today's world and feel that way sometimes? I'm not so sure about that church down the street where so-and-so is the pastor and they do this on Sundays and he wears this when he preaches and, you know, we get all nervous. We get all nitpicky. And we can get all critical. And again, I'm not saying that certain things are to be examined, right? We should be reverent in our worship and faithful, of course, in our preaching to the gospel message. That's the key, of course, is the gospel is being preached. But these secondary things, even Paul here says it, right? Some are preaching the true gospel. Isn't that weird to think about? Some were preaching the true gospel of Christ Jesus, but with the wrong motives. The wrong motives. But what does Paul say? I'm going to paraphrase it. What does he say? What do I care? What do I care? Let's keep the main thing the main thing. The gospel is going forth. That pastor wears jeans with holes in them. That pastor wears a suit and tie. That church does services online. This, this church has a big fancy organ. This church has a rock band. Paul says, what do I care? What do I care? Is the gospel being preached? Then in that I will rejoice. Don't mishear me, of course. There's certain things, right, that we want to be faithful to, we want to examine, uh, but there are secondary things that we leave to the providence and the sovereignty of God. What does St. Augustine say? In essentials, unity. What are the essentials of the faith? Christ crucified, Christ given for sinners, salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, and the finished work of Christ alone. In essentials, unity. In non-essentials, what are non-essentials? I just mentioned some. You can think of others, okay? In non-essentials, what you wear to worship, what time your service is, you know. In non-essentials, liberty. But in all things, charity. In all things, charity. And essentials, unity. And non-essentials, liberty. But in all things, charity. And again, I just think it's such a helpful picture here from the Apostle Paul as we navigate what it looks like in 21st century America, right? Church is funny. Church is a funny place in 21st century America. And there's endless expressions of it. 
And it's sometimes discouraging when we see some of the expressions of it. And we often wonder what's happening, and yet, again, the Lord is on his throne, the Lord is sovereign, the Lord is actually using all of our secondary differences, all of our different expressions and styles to paint this mosaic of his grace, to reach all kinds of people, ultimately, for his glory. And again, Paul comes to that great conclusion himself. Some are preaching for different reasons. Verse 18, but what then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. And that's why you'll always hear me say here, and you've seen it in some of the things we've tried to do, that we will always partner with other churches, partner with other ministries that are like-minded on the gospel, though there might be secondary differences. Uh, We want to partner for the advancement of the gospel first, not the advancement of Presbyterianism, though we are Presbyterians by conviction, okay? We want to partner for the advancement of the gospel first and foremost, whatever we do. And you see Paul's heart and posture in that matter as well. But then finally, finally in the verses that we read, you see Paul understand God's sovereign and gracious hand at work in one final place. So if if Paul sees the reassuring sovereignty of God in his situation, and if he sees the reassuring sovereignty and plan of God in, in the church you know, environment and the preaching environment around him, there in the surrounding community, here then, in those last verses, verses really 19 through 21, you see Paul express the reassuring sovereignty and grace of God in the finality of our days, in the finality of our days. That's where you hear that great, great verse that is often the, the, the crux of this whole letter, one of the most well-known verses in Paul's writings. Uh, to live, verse 21, for to, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. You see, Paul understands that God's sovereignty God's providence, God's grace, never has an expiration date. It never has an expiration date. That he has graciously, God has graciously placed the name of his son upon us. That we, as we know, are Christians, we are his. That we now live with that identity. We have that assurance and that love and that belonging. We stand approved and forgiven. That we live every moment in his safekeeping knowing his plans and his will for us. But as Paul here begins to contemplate his fate, his ultimate fate, as Paul is self-aware to realize that this will one day end, and it may end even sooner for him than he maybe thought. He's now in prison, Roman prison, subject to the authorities. As he contemplates his frailty, he takes great comfort, takes great comfort in knowing that all the things I just mentioned, our belonging, our assurance, our hope, all those things that we mentioned are true for us in this life, but they only become truer for us in the life to come. That we come to know those realities of God even more fully, without filter, without 
mediation, face to face. We come to know those realities of God when we pass to the other side. And that was, for those of you, forgive me for the moment of personal privilege, but if you were here for, for Phil Elder's service, uh, was that last weekend? Time is, so that was a picture of that for those of you who were here. A picture of that. We were reminded of that when we got to celebrate even a saint passing from this life into the life to come. Why was that service so joyful? Why was a memorial service, a funeral, whatever you want to call it, why was it so joyful? Because of these words right here. To live as Christ. To live as Christ. To live is to have our identity, uh, to have all of our all of who we are wrapped up now in the identity of the Son to live is Christ, but to die is to remain in that same favor, but now to gain the fullness of all those things, the fullness of blessing, the fullness of our inheritance. To die is gain. And so that's why Paul can say this. That's why, again, as he contemplates his own frailty, as he contemplates just the own, his own uncertainty, the, own, the, own, uh, the uncertainties of, of living in this life, he has confidence, and he has assurance, and he has hope, and that, that's true for us as well. Again, wherever life takes you, whatever season you find yourself in, whatever uh, turning of the page occurs, whatever detour in life occurs, we can have hope, we can have confidence, we can have assurance that God is with us, God is for us, that he is indeed the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And there's no portion, no segment, no part of our life that is exempt from his gracious and loving and sovereign guidance. Let's pray together. Our Father, we do thank you for your word, for the encouragement we have in it, for the relevance we find in it. We thank you, Lord, that though this is something written so long ago in a different place, a different time, a different culture, a different context, it still rings true today. We still find our own lives painted in these words, our own situations, our own difficulties. And yet we also find painted for us in these words the same hope, the same Savior, the same grace, which has once for all been given in Christ Jesus. So we pray, Lord, that you would encourage our hearts wherever you take us, wherever we find ourselves. May you encourage our hearts. And may we truly know that you are indeed Emmanuel, God with us. So we love you, we praise you. In Jesus' name. Amen.